Welcome to another episode of the Path Podcast with Tawny, Nathan, and Ock, where we invite you to come hang out in one of the best bike shops around and enjoy the banter. Compliments of the Path Bike Shop in Tustin and Tribugo Canyon, California. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hey guys, Nathan here. Regular Path Podcast episode with me, Tani, and Ock. And Brandon. And Brandon. Hey. hey. Brandon's back. Everybody Happy loves Brandon. You. Happy to be here with my fellow pathematicians. <laughs> Pathletes. <laughs> it's always good to be here with you guys. <laughs> Discuss some pathematics. <laughs> <laughs> the Path Podcast favorite service manager. I was thinking about all those different path things on the ride the other day. <laughs> Pathers. Pathogens. Whatever you wanted to do. Like teams? Sure. Yeah, we've got a team. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't we don't use what was the word dynamic tension as a motivator that much? We don't talk about it or focus on it. We don't use that as a tactic. And for none motivation. of us are really like those that kind of those kind of people, really. Those kind of people. Dynamic tension. <laughs> well, there's yeah. kind of. It was on. There was a guy. I forget who it was on Tim Ferriss recently. Whoa. Was talking about how he respects and understands how kind of having a team of adversaries can be motivating and create um, a, create a good outcome and ha- and create a lot of uh, motivation in particular. But how his team is a team of people who have each other and. Also, like the path, his, I wish I remembered who this was. He was talking about he has a fairly flat management structure. Mm. A team of collaborators. Who mm. don't get along. Well, that's when you do focus on the diet. So there's, there is a kind of leadership or management tactic where you utilize people's tendency to be rivals to get them to perform more mm-hmm. yeah and that is a valuable and known and and accepted technique and then there's all but it has trade-offs mm. like healthy competition that's well it that's, can a, be healthy. that's a good when it's healthy it's like yeah that's a metered form one. of it yeah doesn't have to be it can motivate people to put pressure but on al- each other also knowing that which, your team yeah. Knowing that your coworker wants you to succeed and is going to set you up for success, that team might actually beat the team that is a team of rivals. Sometimes, mm. it seems to make sense. I think I've rather seen, than is that, that where like the, is that in the movie to... where like they after afterwards like the team of rivals like they don't shake hands. Well, they do if they win because then they're on the same winning team together. Yeah. I don't if think they that... lose, they point fingers at each other. Did the Cobra Kai <laughs> shake hands? They didn't seem to get along too well. The Cobra Kai. I mean, mm. not maybe not. this maybe this is a Karate Kid metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> they seem they seem not into good healthy things. <laughs> so should we start with the news? Sure, sure. sure. All the news that's fit to print. We got the new switchblade in, which we'll be talking about a lot more. That's news, <laughs> and we have demos of all sizes. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should share with the world what I shared with you guys right before the show. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> should, should we should we fill the world in on this old reference? Sorry, it's going to be a little little choppy. But let's see let's see if I can find it. This is the old friends reference. Let's see if it works. All right, ready? Yeah. 
come on, up, 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 up. Here we go, pivot. 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 Shut up, shut up, shut up. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. I'm the only, I think about that every, every single time. I, I think it's neutral. I interpret it as positive. I like it. It made me laugh. <laughs> it's, it's I think there's t-shirts out there that refer to this of, you know, die, die hard friends fans. Based on my parental experience, you would fit in really well with sixth grade. <laughs> Believe it or not, sixth grade is into friends right now. Wow. Wow. That's right. And the kids that my kid hangs out with even all know which friends character they are in the group. Whoa. Oh, man. So I, I must... I'm. I must say I'm not um I'm not a huge friends fan. I was just aware of this. It was it's kind of like an uh, iconic episode like the soup nazi episode of uh Seinfeld or something like that. In other news, the path to modern mountain bike clinic is underway. We got 15 riders last night and it's not too late to join the next one on Tuesday 225. Oh, sorry, that's wrong. 226 in Tustin. February 26th. Is that the one that we just had? So it's a series. So we just had the first clinic in the series, but if you miss it, you could probably still jump in and have a good time. Yeah, it's super cool. It's good vibes. Usually, what, what day of the week is that? Maybe a Tuesday? I'd have to pull up a calendar. If it's during the week, usually there's also, like, part of our staff's there too, so it's a good chance to, like, kind of say hi to everybody. We've talked about it on other podcasts, but I want everyone to remember that March 15th is our demo fair in Live Oak, and we're expecting eight or so of the hottest mountain bike brands to be there with free demos and food, and it'll be a fun day. Is that more than last time? Eight? We'll see. Dang. Free demos. That's you. So come there and then the, and then decide what bike you want to buy the next weekend at our giant, our, our humongous, our gargantuan spring sale on March 22nd. Quite large. Quite large. <laughs> also a good time. Yeah. Real, oh, yeah. Barbecues, will, be barbecues will be lit. Burgers will be grilled. That'll be a party. And vegetables, not just burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Over the Hump registration opens in 18 days from today. So coming up over the hump that's always fun i saw the memo so excited about over the hump (laughs) totally i can't wait (laughs) don't forget to join our shop rides we're doing we're getting a good turnout on our sunday ride that's always fun live oak share poker ride may 16th so may 5th is the first over the hump race ocmtb is putting on a race on may 2nd in limestone canyon Thank you, Nathan. (laughs) Sea Otter Classic, April 16th through 19th. California Mountain Bike Series at Vail Lake, February 29th to March 1st. And then March 13th to March 15th. And then March 20th to March 22nd. That's California Mountain. Oh, I'm sorry. So the first one's at Vail Lake. The second one is at Benelli and so forth. I really like the cross-country course at, at Vail, and they yeah. run it in various ways, cross-country races and then endurance races. What's it like? It's fast. It's really fast. There's not a lot of, there's no like super long climb, so it's up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. So 
feels like you go pretty fast. How many miles in a lap? I think it was like eight, maybe. And there's two or three laps? Depending it on depends the on the race. I mean, they use that same general area. And I, the last couple times that I was there, I did uh, I did an eight-hour race solo. And this was a couple years ago. And then I actually with Megan, I did a 12-hour. We teamed up and did every other lap or two. I forgot exactly how we did it. But, um, yeah, it's pretty fun. I, I, for some reason, I just like that that course. It's particularly quick. Is there adequate passing space? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You That's rode cool. an XC bike then? I, I was at the time, yeah, yeah. It's it's a fun course on an XC bike, like mm-hmm. on a fast XC bike. Mm-hmm. It's for Shammy Hagel. Have you done Over the Hump? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that was pretty oh, fun, he's too. done Over the Hump. <laughs> I I thought, oh, I've it done was pretty fun. Them. I feel like it was pretty fun. By comparison, I... I More fun? I don't like the course at Over the Hump by comparison to Vail Lake. Over the Hump is fun. I think for, they changed uh, it, though, this last year. Uh, I did race it last year. Oh, okay. Um, I don't like that course, but I like the event for other reasons. But the course at Vail, I think, is really cool. It's particularly I was I was thinking about going out there. The Vail? Mm-hmm. For the cross country or the Enduro? Do they have Enduro, right? They do have Enduro. I was thinking about doing that. I'm not as familiar with those courses. Seems like a good place to practice, kind of getting into like, yeah. stages. If I remember correctly, be prepared for the latter half or thirty, forty percent of your of whatever run you do is pedally. Yeah. So it, it like a lot pl- of the local it, ones are, huh? Well, like pretty much. Fail like plummets. It's like it'll be technical for the first half or so, and then you got to pedal pedal your heart out for the rest of it because it like I drops like down into a valley, and then in the valley, it's like a slight downhill grade. Mm-hmm. But that's where the cross country race lives, is like down in the valleys. Mm. But when you're coming off the ridges, it's rocky and gnarly for just a bit mm-hmm. and then pedal. That sounds cool. So, yeah. And as much as people don't want to admit, you can make a lot of time in the pedaling. One can. Yeah. I don't historically have not. <laughs> but I like one, to, I'd like to try. One can. <laughs> so I think it would be a great, because the technical parts are short it would be a great place for a more spry bike where you can kind of yeah you can override the bike for a shorter amount of time you won't get fatigued out yeah and then you'll appreciate the pedaling prowess yeah. like you could probably get by with like a short travel trail bike yeah 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 far out any more news or any more that's events? it i want to hear about your trip to pivot in phoenix brandon the yeah so i got to go out to is that where it is? Phoenix? Tempe? Uh, headquarters yeah, is Phoenix. in Phoenix. South Mountain? Great. South Mountain. Yeah. Greater Phoenix metro area. It was a surreal experience. It felt like a milestone. It was cool. I don't, I don't get out much. Um, I don't travel a lot. I think that was the first time I ever flew by myself. I pretty much I had a panic attack when Jeff Frost dropped me off at the airport. And he was just like, go, fly, birdie. And I, I was literally, I was like, I'm I'm we're gonna run away i was gonna like bolt i literally thought of <laughs> bolting and then we never saw brandon again <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird we saw him walking back into the shop so yeah so i got to really absorb the whole thing it was cool you're they did like airbnbs there everyone had a bike that was set up for them it was we uh what's special about those bikes you know, little name things. Yeah. Those, well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot special about the bikes. I mean, some they, people had live valves. Some people bought theirs and stuff like that, you know. Man, and they they had name stickers made up. They had guys. cool little name badges with our with the shop we were from and, like, the, cow, the state flag. 
and um, and then some like the Californian, you know, some backcountry little backcountry mother load strap that embroidered with the pivot logo on it, and it's just cool little stuff like that. Um, didn't see the geo, couldn't would they didn't he couldn't talk and like you know no they wouldn't let you know what the geo was, but um. It was cool. They had two Fox outside tech reps there who do like OEM specs. And uh, so they do all like, you know, the, all the testing for all the frame manufacturers and spec the, the shocks and all that stuff. So it was super cool to talk to them. And uh, we rode, rode the next day. South Mountain was pretty chunky. Chunky, technical. Ledgy and square edges. Like ledgy and shaley so like i mean there was there was big rock ledges but there was also like gnarly like shale stuff that like where the shale just breaks off when you ride over it you know Mm. like that kind of stuff and you know everything on the side of the trail basically hurts will hurt you so like you gotta pretty much you can't really you gotta be careful leaning into stuff um a lot of shoulder and elbow grabber rocks yeah Techie, they. I think I heard the word. I think I heard power. The word power move. Probably like, I swear, all right, over a hundred times that day. <laughs> <laughs> like our, our ride, our ride guide. It was pretty cool. So there were a lot of power moves. Power but, move. You know, like appears coming up. You got another power move into another power move. And there's one more big power move. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> and that's how the climbing was. It was very. They were like, what is that? Is that like the high load is like anaerobic? Right, aerobic. So aerobic. little aerobic bursts, like a lot of little right. A lot bursts. of that, and like really pretty good workout in a short amount of time. But the bike performed really well. Which bike? The switchblade. The new switchblade. The new switch. The new switchblade. Um, Did you get a blue one or a green one? Blue. We got a blue one. It was a. It was just a XT build. So I think it was like the. I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but it had XT twelve speed alloy race face cranks, alloy or maybe maybe carbon bars. Um, so I think they make their own bars. Uh, DPX two. They changed the bars. They're no longer doing that weird angle cut locking grip thing, right? right. Yeah, they have their own grips now that they're making that are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of climbing that day. Did some good descending felt confident it felt like a it felt like a pivot it felt like a firebird feels except for not as big and as like as long as a, as a firebird a little more springy and poppy but the uh i mean i don't know there's so many things that i noticed about it i don't know where to start i mean the rear suspension feels amazing in the parking lot it feels plusher on the top than the pit than the firebird which like is it almost does surprising because it's it, less travel it like it's like it, it better on the bounce test than a firebird, I think. Super sensitive. Um, you know, the the second day we rode again and then did and then they did the presentation, so we got to see the geo. So you know there we were talking about kinematics and basically it's a progressive leverage ratio. I don't know what the curve looks like, but it you could put a coil on it, so you it's compatible. So that's a good a sign that the leverage ratio is progressive, and that may be why it's so mm-hmm. sensitive. And then, but I mean, aside from the core, like that DPX two feels amazing. It's I think it's got maybe like a lighter sort of base valve setting in a in a 
really well-tuned shim setting and it's just super sensitive off the top and it ramps up in a way that's really smooth and yeah it's, it's a really nice run and pivot so i'm excited about it i've been riding it for the past week at home we have medium large and extra large for demo i mean i'm i intend to ride the medium soon you should compare it to your rain is is don't some wasn't there like some wasn't the maestro linkage at one time under some Weagle tried to sue pivot right i mean tried to sue giant giant because at least that's my anecdotal understanding it's funny how i feel like they're those two bikes may look the same once i get to see the um, kinematic wise they may look very similar my general understanding is that maestro it does encroach on the dw patent but that giant has some prior art I believe the first Maestro came to market possibly before the first Iron Horse DW bike. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know all that historical stuff. That's why uh, and you're always I don't a even good understand how that law works well enough to know what I just said exactly. <laughs> but I think there's some code development that went awry as well. Oh, really? Yeah, that was my understanding as well, is that there was a co-development effort meaning he was working for them somehow that ended unanticipated and they moved forward and he's like hey you kind of took the work i did and something like that as well i think it was a multi-layer dispute i didn't know he ever was employed by them i think he he was for a while and that but it like didn't finish the project or they said you know who wasn't holding up to their end of the contract or something to that extent do you think we have kinematic nerds that listen to the podcast? Definitely. Yeah. I think a few people who act, whose job it is to look at kinematics listen to our podcast. <laughs> so, like, I think the main difference that I'm seeing in these newer this this like, so we have the M I have curves on the M4, the new Pivot Mach Four, and that's got the new shock location, and it's part of it, like it. It even feels like it's part of their kind of newer family of design evolved suspension sort of goals. Because I guess they, you know, I think they set goals for themselves on certain kinematics. And what's happening is it's over 100% anti-squat at sag. And on a pivot and even on a giant, that number's kind of, that, that, those are, that's kind of a flat curve. So it's almost like throughout the whole travel almost. It's like, it's at least a hundred percent, like throughout the whole travel, and then, and then it kind of, of fades away. Could, that's part of why the suspension works really well at a wide range of sag points. Like you can sag at twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent. It works. And I've been trying to tweeze out like anti squat because I'm just learning about it, and what I'm seeing is I think that it it directly correlates to pedal kickback, obviously, and I'm and I kind of that's pretty clear and i think that's well understood but i there's another aspect of anti-rise that it correlates with as well and it's i feel like the anti-squat is it's a level of stability for the the two triangles under pedal forces or or not not pedal forces but stability from the like the weight changes from your body so like you have a high center of gravity and your your weight is moving backwards when you're accelerating and then your weight's moving forward when you're decelerating and so a frame that has like anti-squat characteristics, it also has these dialable anti-rise characteristics. 
And then what's happening is like Giant and Pivot are making their anti-rise curve of an, another flat line that's around like 60 to 80%, which is like in the industry that is like regarded as they call that break isolation. And so what that means is that like you have a suspension that's still active under braking, but isn't extending too, too easily under braking as well. So like what, it, what that equates to is a bike that's like maintaining its geo when you're braking really hard and it's got active rear suspension and these bikes and it doesn't stink bug when you pull the brakes and it doesn't squat when you accelerate and they have carbon rear triangles that are are one piece so like the overall ride experience i would say is behaved yeah and it's and then what they're doing is they're making the leverage ratio progressive so it's low rate at the beginning it's super sensitive and then it has like uh, some like, a very like the different bike. You mean high leverage ratio at the beginning, so it's super sensitive. I still don't know high, high like, for high high for number the area. like high for shock rate or wheel weight. Or like I still don't like what like would know what everyone's referring to when they say low or high. When the leverage rate is high, the wheel has more mechanical advantage over the shock, and the suspension moves easier. You typically see a shorter shock spec. But no, but we're talking not about um, average leverage rate throughout the travel, but about the actual leverage rate at that point in the travel. Mm. Right, right. You're right. So like the number is higher. Like, but and this goes to I would say this is the biggest place in where Pivot's design philosophy has evolved. Pivot the leverage ratio. Pivot used to have a relatively linear. The 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 they used to have a relatively firm feeling top end of the travel and. With a switchblade in particular, it's to me the most obvious progression in the, it, towards a very, very supple, soft top end of the travel. And they can get away with that because they still have anti squat to combat all the squatty, bobby characteristics that might come with that. Mm. It feels really good. Right. So, anti, so bobbiness kind of comes with that. And I've told, Unless you have the anti squat to counterbalance it. Right. right. I, I, so I've noticed that, I mean, so with that switchblade, when you're pedaling on flat ground with the shock open, it it will move quite a bit. But as soon as you point it uphill, or I bet as soon as you apply a lot of pressure to the pedals, because the anti-squat is chain force dependent. And right. So that's why it's like, I feel like I Especially, almost can't generate enough on a flat surface to I, like stabilize. I'm going to go over my much. pay grade a little bit and say, I sort of think there might be some anti-squat that's not chain force dependent. But if it's related to pedal kickback, it's chain force dependent. So I talked to Kevin about that. That uh, Kevin's the engineer at Pivot. I talked to him about that non-chain anti-squat, and he said that it exists, but it's a very, very low percentage. So it's like not. It's only a, a slight part of the anti-squat. That most of it is the chain chain driven. And when it's chain driven, it could be a little bobby if you're not laying down the force on the chain because you're right. not getting Which the force. Which I don't really care. I don't really and care. About I think Ock and I talked about having mm-hmm. that perception on the trance. Which right. I don't get it as much on the rain, but the trance has less anti squat than the rain, huh. hmm. which is maybe why we have that. One in theory with less travel, you might need less anti squat. I don't know. It's a a f- lot of a manufacturers thought, do lower the anti squat as they lower the travel. But you know what? That hmm. because the spring curve is different, I think, yeah. and the and the amount of the wheel moving, the distance the wheel is actually yeah, moving sure. is different. But the rain threads a pretty. Treads a pretty nice balance with that. You know what I noticed? The more that's I ride my rain, the more I like it. When mm-hmm. I looked at charts, was looking at charts, was that 
because Santa Cruz is obviously doing the same kind of thing, but the um, with their lower link design, that's all the same kind of thing. They're just their curves are a little bit different looking. They kind of like slope, all, like all of their curves slope. Like whereas the DWs and the uh, Maestro, they have these like flat anti rise. Yeah, I really think that's look that's like those a, curves. Yeah, flat anti squat and anti rise curves. Yes, pretty much interesting. So. Um, to see that graph you you had sent me when you were at Pivot or at the at the event, yeah, the really twenty nine one, yeah, really interesting to see. Got to get some curves. good comparison yeah. bikes. I've heard Chris Chris Kakalis from Pivot talk about that and how that's part of why the the he was talking about how there's no perfect sag number and how people should try different sag numbers and that you shouldn't just be zeroed in on a sag number and how with some bikes the the anti squat curve dictates a sag point or mm-hmm. you're going to have bad performance but with theirs it doesn't I was actually on that note too I was talking with him about four bar and anti squat and it's like Compared to four bar, I think my I I haven't like I don't know I haven't looked at enough charts yet, but I think I mean I have looked at a few though, so I have a theory that like when you raise anti squat with four bar, you get like really high pedal kickback, um, higher than you would with like a a dual link, and so it's hard to get that, and so that's I I feel like maybe I have a theory that maybe that's what's driving the four bar links frame manufacturers to steepen their seat angles and like sacrifice the wheelbase. To because they're running deeper in the sag when they climb, and then there's manufacturers too, like Scott, who like run like twin lock. They have like a damping system to keep it high in its travel, whereas like Pivot and even Maestro, like they're running the over the hundred over 100 percent anti squat. It's almost like this pedal force activated geo chain. You know what I mean? It's like this pedal force activated geo uh, seat steepening, seat tube steepening, and it's maybe sort of stays higher and it's travel so it's maintaining that seat angle a little bit more i don't know it was a theory that i had when i was talking with him about that kind of stuff it sort of matches my experience of suspension over time but i don't know if i can get behind it all the way but i do have a question so the the switchblade 66 degree head angle kind of steep for the category by modern standards did you notice that did you feel it i i do feel it i do feel like the wheel's not as far out in front of me but it it's also reduced offset, though. Right. And this is what I'm testing out, and I've been pushing it really hard. There's moments where I feel like I'm maybe too... So when I get far up over the bars, it turns fast. And it can turn really sharp, really fast. So it's like I almost have to be ready. And there, and I, I would say I'm not getting over as far as I would on, say, like even a tall boy, which is only like a, a fraction of a degree slacker. It's a full degree, isn't it? It's About like a half a degree. degree. 65 and a half. But so, like on the high tower, it might be a full degree, right? It wants me to be yes. more more centered, maybe, is what I'm interpreting from the bike. It's like, it's like, not, it's like stay centered in balance and to keep traction on both wheels. And that's how you and rip corners like that. And so I'm having trouble turning sharp enough sometimes unless I really lean into it. And I've hooked up on some really sharp corners and I've had a lot of fun on it. Like it's just, 
I mean, I've cornered so hard on it. It's like you're blasting out and catching air on turn out of coming out of turns. You know that sensation where you're just going faster than if you're not. You haven't even done that on that trail before. Mm. So um, it's good, but do you think that head angle for tall people is more like for me? I'm I'm wondering because I haven't until these last few generations of bikes, I haven't really experienced the slack head angle. Like I've never ridden a a downhill bike on a trail. So I don't know what like a really slack head angle feels like. But interestingly enough, the downhill bikes I rode all had 65 degree head angles uh, because I'm old. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But on that, you've you've ridden a Sentinel with a 64. Yeah. And that felt really, that's not much more than a degree off of a modern downhill bike. You know, there's that feeling where you're either getting the bike, you're riding the bike you're out of so wait is your th- or you're part of the bike you know what i mean on top of it or in it no just like it's like an extension or it's like just an extension captain or captain or passenger totally pilot or yeah, passenger yeah, yeah, pilot yeah. or passenger totally mm. now these bikes that have this the slacker head angle and the reach like they feel like they're they're long enough for me because i'm taller like my center my center of gravity is way higher like whereas you and i like guess if you look whereas at you this, short people is that <laughs> Can like a sixty six or sixty seven degree head angle? If someone's like, here's what I'm going to say: is that tall people are are more over the bars prone. So anything that combats that is good for tall people, including a slacker head angle. Yeah, but you can get there two ways, right? You can make the bike longer in reach. I mean, within reason. You, I wouldn't suggest putting a seventy degree head angle, but you can make add reach, add slack. So wheelbase helps. Yeah, we'll slack in the head tube. It's all a balance. Taller bars, taller bars helps. Some bigger wheels, too. lower bottom. Well, you know what helps? I think almost the most is lower bottom bracket. Yeah, or more. Actually, even more specifically, more bottom bracket drop. So you could have the same bottom bracket height and have thirty-six inch wheels, for example, and have more bottom bracket drop. I forgot what I was going to say. So but the the sixty-six degree head angle is not a deal breaker for you. And maybe some people been. would benefit from it, probably. I mean, I just, I had, I rode today and I PR'd all my trails. That I, so, like, I'm, like, it's like, whoa, cool, okay. I, and, like, it felt good. I didn't feel like I was on the edge, really. I was like, wow, I missed some turns. So, like, I feel like there's potential for me to grow on that bike. But but I feel like the, the 65-ish degree and, and then 64 to that extent, like those bikes are changing the way I ride in a really good way, like mm-hmm. a really good way to where uh, I'm just, I'm having a lot of fun. I can do what I want. I can like, you know, I feel like I, I have a style that comes with that because of the, like the confidence and the stability that I get from it. Do you, uh, does, what's the head, the headset configuration on the pivot? Does it, I is wish it a 4456? It, I wish it had that. I kind of wish that they did that. Because you can like, run an angle set. Yeah, they only have that with the Firebird. So this one's like it's a standard, um, like an ZS. Eight? It's what? A, I think it's a ZS. Coupless. They cup, have. They uh, do uh, have. Is it coupless or is it? They. It's ZS. They do have a lower cup though. They do have that from the last switchblade, and you can slacken the head angle with Wait, that. Right. Wait, ZS. I think we might not be saying the same stack? thing. Zero stack to me are still pressed in cups. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, cup with no stack. So it's fifty-six yeah. bottom then. It's if it's a fifty six forty four, you can put an angle set in it. 
but like a Santa Cruz, for oh, you're example, saying an angle set. I was saying that like Pivot has like their Firebird where they 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 have like a what is that one? I think you can That's put 56, an angle set 56. at it. If I remember. Yeah. Oh, so if it's right. ZS, then yeah, if it's pressable cup. So I guess you you could put an angle. set. Yeah, and works. They also have a lower headset. Works. They, they also have a lower cup that's that sticks out too. That's for their twenty seven five plus option. So what else? Yeah, but stuck? they were talking about running it like there. You know, like, like as a tuning option. Yeah. If you want taller bar, like it's almost like extending your head tube, maybe from the wrong I don't, end. But yeah, I don't think it's a good way. <laughs> I don't think it's a good way to do it. But, like, but the works it. the works components headset in the UK they make a forty four fifty six angle set for most bikes up to a yeah, two so degree. Yeah, so that's what it is. So that's what I'm saying is if you if there was something you really loved about this bike, say the kinematics, for example, but the sixty six for whatever particular person was an issue, as long as there's pressable cups, you have a pretty clean option i wouldn't even consider the works headset as like a hack or something it's a it's a a good solution in fact it'd be interesting to try that because you could knock it out to 64 did you go to pivot headquarters do you see their production facility and everything yeah we saw their warehouse saw their yeah all that their stands that you know they're building their bikes their some molds some what what stuck out to you about the the culture the biz- like if I'm a rider and I'm like, is Pivot is Pivot gonna be a brand that I can relate to? Like, what kind of ri- rider? Like, what what do I, I need really to know like about Pivot? Everybody to there, I feel like they're all intelligent and like they're almost. I mean, I'm I consider they're I can they're definitely riders, super talented riders. Did you ride with Chris, the owner? Yeah, yeah, ride. he rode. I think yeah, he rode a switchblade too, or maybe he had a shuttle. One day, I'm not sure. He's hurt, I think. Right? Yeah, I think injured. he rode a shuttle. I think he's injured. I saw a photographer on a shuttle that would like go out in front of us. It was pretty. But cool like, what idea. would but, you? How would you describe the culture? Well, so, so yeah, so there's a like their photographer media guys on a shuttle, like going out in front of you guys, and like they're all just totally dudes you to ride with. And then like there's there's women that are extremely talented riders who ride there, and everyone's intelligent. Everyone loves being around Chris because you get around Chris, and like you realize that like, whoa, he's this guy's a super intelligent guy. He's he's got a beautiful family and he's like expanding this company and growing like in a such a way that you can tell is he he just owns it. It's all him. It's so much of it is him. They could grow a lot faster if it and, and I don't think and this isn't a criticism, this is a compliment. They could grow a lot faster, but Chris is controlling the growth and keeping it something that he can make deliver on something that's going to be in control and not dangerous and not scary and and not ruin the company and not something where he's going to have to bring in investors and lose control i think it's really smart and i think they're my experience of pivot was kind of like you remember when all of a sudden in like the 90s it became cool to be a nerd or maybe it was the 2000s like it kind of became cool to be kind of like nerdy and like smart and like creative yeah and i was going to use that i was going to say that yeah and maybe not (laughs) wasted like, right? Yeah, that we. In, I mean, or maybe a few of them are. <laughs> I might have had a few shots. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's not that they're not fun, but I would say like nerd rock. I, I think of like mm-hmm. what. But you know what? Like nerd rock answers their phone, and like <laughs> nerd rock knows how much shit they have in stock. Right. <laughs> like. So like and that not is the, <laughs> not like nerd rock like the nineteen eighties nerds movie more like nerd rock like 
when all of the sudden, um, like smart people were getting the girl. Yeah. <laughs> 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 And riding dirt bikes. That's, oh yeah, Chris loves to ride dirt bikes, and he's definitely he knows about how not weak like, nerd. He's got a like lot smart, of smart, strong nerd. Yeah, he, he, he's he's someone who you want designing your bike. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's really cool to meet him and hang out. Um, it's pretty cool too that like I was kind of trying to think about it, like just put myself in some other people's shoes a little bit, and it was like, you know, I asked him like, what was it like to like go from alloy to carbon? Like, how the hell did you even? Like what? Is, why? Like why? And like how? Like how do you even make it? How do you figure out how to make it? It doesn't sound easy. Mm. And like they explain their whole molding procedure, and it's it's very it's it's different. Not everybody uses the sophisticated procedures that they use to like um, pressurize the inside of the mold. Do you know anything about composite? manufacturing i mean roughly honestly probably about as much as you know so they inflate the inside to pressurize it and then there's the mold on the outside and you can achieve a certain amount of pressure on the material to basically bake it into what it is i guess you know yeah that's part of a simple way so like basically they're using prefabbed like i don't know how they're shaping these materials but they're they're molding like a foam for the inside of the frame and then it has a bag around it that also has a another layer around it that's almost like a like a little bit more durable than the bag so it kind of like evenly disperses the pressure a little bit better and then you have like that solid piece as the core so you have like a um, a really evenly distributed pressure applied okay. to the carbon and they use like some pretty rad diagnostics to measure like where the flame frame is flexing and like where to like add material and they can smoothly add material. Whereas like there's some methods of where they just use the bag to pressurize the mold and it's like really rough on the inside. And they like on those frames, they just kind of like just build up material in kind of, and sometimes maybe like just a lot of places where it doesn't really need to be. And so, um, that's one factor with that makes their frames like, you know, they have a flex goal basically for all their frames, like how much sort of flex that's that component has. And they use test facilities too that like, and I was like, what is it like? So I was like, so there's places across the world that just, you just pay them to break your shit. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, oh yeah. Like in aerospace (laughs) places. And I was like, but oh, you okay. pay them to break your shit in a very specific way. Yeah, <laughs> and he was like, "There's this guy who does our testing, and he's like, they they charge us by the cycle because like because like yeah. our shit doesn't break, <laughs> you know." And yeah. So it's uh, that was kind of cool, like learning about yeah. that whole thing. And uh, yeah, know. that comment what you were saying, like the main goal with composites is to make sure that whatever you have in the end is really consistent. And so if you can get uniform pressure, you squeeze out a uniform amount of resin. So if at any given point, you, you know, you take a little, say, a little patch, right? So think your TPI for a tire. You want it to be consistent. So if you squeeze out different amount of resin in different places, one area, for example, might be a 120 TPI and one area might be an 80 and one area might be a 160. But what you want is consistent so it all squeezes out so you get like all 120. For example. Well, and I bet you that kind of resonates. It has like 
when it, when it when you hit a bump or when it's a when it's a when yeah. it's built up as a frame, it has like a res, a resonating kind of a well and feature think of, to it. The resin isn't what you want. You want the carbon held together with as little resin as possible. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's and no the air gaps. Yeah, their frames exactly. are also yeah. like different modulation for sizes. You know, like their yeah. their XLs like you know thicker walled and different different yeah. sort layups. of shapes and yeah yeah different layup. So that's another factor. One of the tricky things with the carbon, a lot of the companies use what's called a prepreg, and it's like carbon baked with resin, but they have to keep it in uh, refrigerators. You might have, they might be storing their stuff in refrigerators because it it's always starting to cure. So they got to slow down the cure, and it's got like a kind of a shelf life in the fridge. Yeah, and so they they got to keep it cold. Pre prepreg because there's there's some frame manufacturers that are using prepreg. Yeah, there's sure. And the two w- ways are typically prepreg and what they call wet layup. And wet layup, think like a surfboard and fiberglass, like painting it on. But prepreg's all high end stuff is wet layup, right? Most of it, is I GG think, is prepreg. Prepreg oh, really? isn't no GG is something different. It's a thermoplastic base system. What's that? Mm-hmm. Gorilla gravity. Gorilla gravity. Oh. It's yeah. it's very different, and it's more akin to... Heard some mixed things on it. It's just different. It's different, yeah. and it's newer, and it has different constraints. But the reason they're getting that impact is because it's a thermoplastic-based. Um, and the recyclability claims is because it's thermoplastic-based and not thermoset-based. Mm-hmm. And thermoset means, like think, like epoxy and heat. That's thermoset. You can't ever melt it and make it liquid again. But plastic, like regular plastic that's melted, squirted into a mold, you can remelt it and squirt it into another mold. Mm-hmm. That's thermoplastic. And that's what Gorilla Gravity uses? They're using some version of that with carbon fiber. So it's yeah. like a prepreg, I think. I don't know. I'd have to check out their patent, but I'm pretty sure. I, I've seen semi- I've been to seminars on this in the aerospace world. It's a prepreg layup, but... It's not being held together by a thermoset resin. It's being held together by a thermoplastic uh, filler. And that's why they have to bake the hell out of that frame to get the plastic to melt. Bake the heck out of it, please. (laughs) (laughs) They they use a lot of heat. Um, But they can also, it's a little, I think, I roughly understand the way they're getting it more automated. But that's the difference between thermoplastic, thermoset. 99% 99% of the carbon fiber frames we know of are thermoset, and you can't ever get it back to liquid and quote-unquote recycle it. You can chop it up and throw it into filler into a thermopla- into something else, mm-hmm. but you can't remelt it. And that's why Gorilla Gravity says they're recyclable. Maybe an early factory, the carbon dust-making factory. <laughs> well, the, Wear a the, mask. <laughs> the, ther- the, the prepeg is, that's part of, that's, one of the nice things about using prepreg is it's safer, right? It's like think of if you were using fiberglass, right? The fiberglass before you put the resin on it, like if it can go in the air, it can do all the same with carbon fiber, right? But once a carbon fiber is layered up, like got the glue in it, which is prepreg, then it's it's just a sticky sheet mm-hmm. cutting it up. It's relatively safe. Same with the thermoplastic, like a gorilla gravity. They're they're not dealing with raw carbon fiber. They're dealing with Carbon fiber woven and impregnated with uh, thermoset resin, and thus it's you know very stable and manageable. Hmm. 
Now, when you're cutting it and dealing with it with your hands, you know, you still might get stuff in your fingers and stuff like that. I digress. Well, I want to thank Pivot for having Brandon out. I know he was stoked to come out and check out the facility and ride the bikes, and we're stoked on the new switchblades. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait I, to demo close one. close to selling one. Ah. I, I had a question because, Brandon, you've used a lot of – you've played with a lot of bikes in the space. How would you just – quickly compare it to say the high tower maybe the rain maybe the process 134 were the ones that i would think about which are contemporaries say if you're shopping around that you'd be considering well i can only really compare it to the high tower because that's the one i've ridden i haven't ridden the rain yet although i think that it's going to behave a lot like the rain and the key difference on the rain i think is geo so Honest, so I consider the switchblade though, like if speed and time is really important to you, like if if that's something, like if I on think what that, trails on like normal park mountain bike or may, trails like maybe in like even County, right? like, or maybe even like like, like California enduro or something like that. Okay. You know, like if if you're like you can't make sacrifices to wheelbase because like you, you want to turn sharp and fast, and you want a bike that's like. The stiffness is there. The durability is there. The suspension design's solid. It, you know, the links are like the bearings and the links. All that stuff is there. So that's. I think it's a great, really neatly finished race bike. What are those two water bottle bo- mount bosses under the top tube for? I, th- I believe we're seeing gonna, that I more and more. I almost. I feel like someone <clears throat> gave all the bike manufacturers a sketch of something they're going to do, and it was cool enough that everyone's like, we're going to make bosses for that now. I think Wolf, it's going to uh, be for Tooth. tools. Wolf Tooth makes a tool pack that mounts. Oh, is that? Yeah, okay. they have for a while now, actually. Um, the new version of the Raw Madonna has that, has that, and I think it's just such an easy thing to add to any bike. And now that Wolf Tooth makes one, it's an obvious thing for other brands to make them. It's for a little bolt-on tool pouch. It's cool. And I'm sure a couple brands will probably make bolt-on little tool, like, you know, click-in. Th- I, I think as the as we see more of this, we'll see more options. Toilet paper holder. Yeah, whatever. That'd be cool. Yeah. Plugger kit, you know, a little bolt-on plugger kit or something. Well, to go back to your question, the I think that the suspension feeling on the rain and the switchblade is going to make perhaps for some people are going to notice that it, they might like it more than the high tower um and the, the high tower is a little more couchy right a little more like sits into the suspension kind of wallows in it a little more doesn't ride as high i mean it's very similar on the the deeper you get it's like the deeper and you get it in the travel like the worse all the kinematics get Ooh, that doesn't sound good it's like because well, they're all sloping lines so like, but there's there's a good sweet spot, and there's and the leverage ratio is is progressive, and it's the anti squat curve's good, pedal kickback's good, but it just doesn't have these really rad looking anti squat anti rise lines that. And two, like the leverage ratio is uh, like a straight diagonal line. On Where the switchblade. No, on the high tower. Whereas like pivot and giant are both going with kind of slopey progressive lines, like exponential progression, which creates a nice sweet spot and, and, and a nice smooth progression when, when coupled with tuning the shock. I do well. think there's something to be said for that straight um, straight progression on the leverage rate curve. For uh, Not that it's the end-all, be-all, just that there's something to be said for it. 
it, yeah. it feels it, it feels like natural and less and like predictable. Predi- yeah. And you can it gives you a good baseline to tune the shock with. Mm. So they they look really nice. The fit and finish and the detail. Really good. The, the process I has like a piv- the process a has a pivot in the rear end. So I mean if when the travel gets shorter, like I feel like I'm starting to like notice that on these like more trail oriented geo uh bikes that are short travel like i'm starting to notice like the ones that have pivots in the like the rear end like you can when it gets crazy like you can almost feel the wheel going back and forth sometimes you know like Hmm. you mean like lateral lateral flex yeah like versus like a one-piece carbon rear triangle especially with the with the way they're designing these rear triangles now that they're not so asymmetrical anymore you know right that's cool yeah, they look good. I, one little detail I saw in the press release was, you know, the, where the shock mounts. A lot of times there's like a little scalloped area that can collect dirt or water or what have you. And he's got a little relief hole in the side right below the bottom of the shock eyelet. On the what? On the frame. On the switch blade. Switch blade? Yeah, there's oh, like, really? you know, where the pocket of the bottom of the shock goes? Mm. It makes a little like pool, like a little cup. But he's got a hole on the side of the cup, so it drains out. Nice. I, was like, ah, it's attention I have a to funny detail. story about the shock. In the in the there's there was a mule, so I looked as soon as I got to my bike, I looked up the tune ID on the shock, and and I didn't come up. It was like oh. this isn't available. It very and new. So and what we were supposed to do was like go check out your bike, like you know you know check out the cockpit, like maybe maybe do some minor adjustments, and then you were supposed to go to the Fox guys, and they were going to set up your suspension. So like we go to to set up my suspension and. I was just like, ran the tune ID on that and it didn't come up. Like, what is it? It's a DPX2. Like, and he was like, he, he was almost like, he actually was like, can't tell. And I was like, is it light? And I was like, he's like, I don't know. And I was like, all right, cool. And uh, <laughs> set my sag up. And I think we went and rode. And the second day, I noticed there was a mule in the garage and it was like blank carbon. And so, and it had on the shock, it had a, like a, label making machine label you know yeah that had the tune on it and it was like this custom tune and uh i was like i like walked right over to lou the fox guy who i think developed it and Mm -hmm. lewis and he was like i was like so cla 018 and rla 00 like one nine or whatever and he was like how do you get how do you know that and I was like, it's written on the mule over there. <laughs> and he was like, what's really interesting, though, are the numbers and letters after that. And I was like, thinking about it. And I was like, did you customize the base valve? And he was like, yeah, we did. How did you know that? <laughs> I was like shock flexing, you know, shock, shock signaling. Shock, shock, shock signaling. Um, Shim suspe- signaling. Suspension, suspension guru signaling. signaling. <laughs> it's so weird how guru it is. It's kind of almost like yoga. It's like you get into it and you're like, well, there's like some gross like More enlightened than you are, dude. <laughs> dude, it's <laughs> really... It, it, looks like a, it looks like a really great dual bike. And, I, you know, last summer I borrowed the firebird to bridge the whole pole debacle of waiting for those. So I had to race that bike or got to race that bike twice. And I was really happy with the fit and finish of it. Just having that bike for, you know, riding it for six, seven days combined. Their, their fit and finish has really impressed me. Mm-hmm. It's across the board. Like their little cable hatch covers are really clean. Very good. Mm-hmm. Like all of it. Very low warranty rate too. 
And like they didn't go with they didn't go with tubes and tubes because it's a little heavier and like the stiffness and they just they just didn't want to go with tubes and tubes for the routing and stuff. At worst case, you You can get that little tube insulation. Weight too, like that's another thing. We have that, of course. I mean, as a bike shop, you want tube and tube, but like ultimately as a rider, I think you have to admit it's probably not. Yeah, if you're a mechanic, use foam. Like, come on. I've uh, uh, I've got a friend who just he picked up a Scott Ransom used and he's going to have to build it up from a frame. And I, I said, don't, don't mess around. Don't waste your time. Just buy the park fish kit. Right. I was like, you were going to sit. It's going to be worth your time already. Just buy it. It's a little expensive. Like I think we actually bucks. wore one of those out. <laughs> we have uh, those. I, I was like, just buy one. How many do we have? Like four or five. Oh Cause they just, they do. They, we, we gotta like, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't use it. <laughs> Ever? Never. What do you just take the cranks out? You just Jedi the cable totally, through the I hole. I totally Jedi that <laughs> shit through the hole, and I bend. You gotta like do it on the outside first, so you can bend the cable oh, or yeah. line like in the right, just the right direction. And then you gotta have a twist. You gotta be able to twist while you're in there. And sometimes that means like twist this whole big twisting yep. motion. Yep. Where you're like, you got the caliper in the other hand. And <laughs> the cable routing is strong with you. Well, and then once you see it, if you got a light, maybe hold the light, maybe hold it in your hat or get a, get a headlamp and like shine a light in there. And once you see that, then you got to like, maybe you use a poker to like guide it out of the hole. And that's what I do. That's what I do. A poker. Like, like that's a, <laughs> a pokey. Thing. Yeah, a pokey tool. Poker. That's a sharpened spoke for the most part, right? <laughs> it's a pokey. Yeah, use a poker. <laughs> pokey tool. And I'm, that's a sharpened you spoke. You know... I'm really, I really wish more techs would make their own pokey tools. Like, that's something that really actually kind of makes me sad. Like, I have like eight of them in my stand, all yeah. like yeah. rounded ones that will never scratch maybe, anything. Maybe that's how we you know? should do our new hiring process. Is like, hey, how many pokey tools? Make, do you no, make? no, no. Just <laughs> can you hey, make? I'm, I'm gonna give you the spoke. Make me make a pokey tool. What if I just look at them and say? Pokey tool. That does just remind analyze me. Analyze their reaction. That does remind <laughs> me. Going back to the pivot thing, one thing I kind of picked up from pivot, and I didn't just like we don't exactly do this, but what I learned, I heard that at pivot when they want to hire someone, they'll have everyone who's going to work with that person interview them. Yeah, oh, and wow. we don't we don't quite do that, but we do have what kind of more of a, close. We do kind of have like this is who, like if someone's going to have to tell this person what to do, they probably have to kind of buy into that person getting hired like, well we do the build though and all the texts are there and then right when that person leaves i'm like so how did he do guys what did then, you notice <laughs> and we do have other managers go introduce themselves and say hi yeah. and then we ask them what they thought and yeah so yeah, yeah. started reading malcolm Gr- but it's, they're malcolm a bigger company so i get what he's saying they're bigger yeah nice well yeah. swish blade swish can i do a little rant sure okay fire away Manufacturers, I'm talking to you again. The most common thing, you, you, you people, manufacturers, you proud men and women who make people happy with awesome mics are doing a great job. And because of that, we have less aftermarket part sales than ever. But there's one part we keep selling aftermarket, and it's because you're not doing a great job on that, and it's saddles. And today I... I want to get into this a little later, but I demoed the Ooh. Norco Optic today. And that bike has an ass hatchet on it. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and I, it as does. I, as I was climbing and feeling the ass hatchet in my <laughs> soft spots, I was thinking, like, 
is it just me? Like, it seems like everyone needs kind of not everyone, but it seems like more than half of people need a wider saddle than what most bikes come with. Mm. I would also add to that. I, in my personal experience, I can tolerate a saddle that's maybe a size or two too wide than the other way. Right. Yeah. So that's a good point, Nathan. Thank you. And the, so I got to thinking, and I was like, well, it it feels to to me. Like most people I measure their Ischial 2, like more than half of people are more than 120 millimeters on Ischial tuberosity width. And I also feel like I see more 130s and 140s than I see 110 and less. Mm. But most saddles that come OE are like what, 120, 130? 130, 135. Yeah. And would you also agree? So a 135 to me is a good fit for someone with a, a mountain biker with an average mountain biking posture and, and um, hip angle. Probably that person with a to to make a one thirty five fit. That means you probably have a one fifteen or less ischial tuberosity width. So that got me to wondering, what's the average ischial tuberosity or sit bone width? And I did some googling, and my like not totally vetted out, like I googled it, bro. Answer <laughs> is that both for men and women, its average is over one thirty. Whoa! You when measuring seated. Do you think the women mm. throw that throw that to the higher range? Because like <laughs> in the study that I, I I looked at a couple different sources and in the actual like source study that I read, women have a wider ischial tuberosity if you measure it standing, but if you measure it seated, men and women are very close. Mm. Oh, really? Interesting. That's Would interesting. you also add? And this is in my very small sample size. I noticed that. Just it's kidding. not. It's not human size dependent. It's definitely not it's very it tiny. Nothing tiny to do with people human with size. narrow waists and 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 narrow backsides might have a very wide ischial tuberosity, and giant people with wide, big backsides might have a very. I think I said it now. Narrow pe- narrow well, looking people right. might have a wide ischial tuberosity, and wide people might have. a You narrow. can't tell by looking. You can't tell by looking, and can I just sit on the? So there would be no. The point being, there would be no point for a manufacturer to try to. Small bikes get a small saddle. Big bikes, no. I don't think so. There's nothing to do with it. What's no. the drawback of running a wider saddle? It's harder to get behind the seat. It's harder and to get forward <laughs> and aft behind the seat. They don't but photograph what well. What if it's shorter? They don't look right. That's yeah. a really good point. They don't look as cool. Yeah. They don't? No, a big like seat wider. looks frumpy. Huh. Yeah. Right. Those Typically. spank saddles don't look frumpy. And if the average is really 130, Maybe. those are mm-hmm. too narrow for... The average, naughty. Yeah. The average should be running like a one fifty. Yeah, you generally want a centimeter extra on each side past your ischial tuberosities. Oh, two centimeters. Two c- one, one on each side. One on each side. Yeah, two centimeters total, and that's assuming. So the more you are rotating forward with your, like your, the more upright you are, the more you're on the wide part of your ischial tuberosities. And the more you rotate your pelvis forward, the more you're on the narrow part. If you picture it, it, it tapers inward towards your chode. <laughs> <laughs> it tapers inward towards your perineum. At your perineum, you're like, what, like 20 millimeters, you know? So it tapers from the widest part of your sit bones, it tapers inward from there. So the more you rotate forward on your pelvis, the narrower of a saddle you would want. But, mo- but mountain bikes but have mountain shifted bikers towards tend to have a. F- a Generally speaking, when you say that you would add two centimeters to the sit bone width, that's assuming a, a hip angle where um, 
the back of the pelvis is angled forward, maybe not quite 45 degrees, but close. Hmm. Right. Maybe I rotate my hips forward a little bit more. You, you do run pretty low bars, which would rotate your hips forward a little bit more. Well, and you guys that have typically ridden hips. mediums for years. What's that? You guys that have typically have ridden mediums for years probably hasn't haven't seen as much of a change. But I know I've been riding larges and extra larges for a long time, and the bikes have come up like with head tube mm-hmm. and fork height, all sorts of things, and twenty big wheels, big wheels, all sorts of things. Where um, back in the day, I felt like my handlebars were always below my seat. Right. Now they're getting closer to mm-hmm. to level right. or higher. Um, it's been a nice relief. But maybe so yeah, manufacturers, run wider. your bikes will feel better to people on test rides if you run a little wider saddles. That saddle that and you were demos. talking about, though, you almost slide That's off a, of it. Oh, like, my it's gosh. Like, it was so like, – I almost cut my ride short. I was enjoying my ride, and I almost cut it short because of that saddle. Mm. You know, the other thing that I mentioned to you as far as touch points go is this is something – um, at least in the path demo fleet, is on the smalls, um, especially kind of the shreddy bikes that are smalls coming with 800s, maybe think about giving right, them a pre-cut. The bar, cutting the bars down, you mean? Yeah, like maybe cut for the smalls, cut them down to you know, 770, 760 or something. Because like uh, that does correlate. I mean, <laughs> I it definitely does. I run 780s. I don't right, but you're in a medium, which right. th- that seems fine. Like, leave the ballers full length, the big size. But sizes. no, full length on a lot of our demos is 800. Yeah. Yeah. So cut them down to smaller you go. Mm-hmm. I, I think that makes sense. We've thought about that. That might happen. Yeah. Just have a standard, you know, like, go a little long, but, you know, some kind Set, of standard small, I'd say medium 780 large. for medium, 760 for smalls. That makes more sense. I mean, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Because I... Uh, I've brought some demos home. My girlfriend's kind of short. We, she tried a Firebird. It was a small Firebird, and it had 800s, and she's like, I don't know. what She rides 720s. Wow. And she's like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> and she, she was basically like, I, I don't really want to ride it. So it was, it was so much too wide. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. The, so the op, I demoed the Optic today. It's a pretty rad bike. Is that the short? I I keep I need to learn the name. Come on, short man. short travel, long travel, short, short travel, shreddy, sixty five okay. degree head angle, one twenty five travel. Let's all okay. let's all say the specs at the same time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In stereo, yeah. different specs. And there's another nitpick on that bike that I had: too short of a dropper post. Oh, so I run. 691 millimeter saddle height from center of bottom bracket to top of saddle, just so it's not 69 centimeters. <laughs> and nice. that's short. That's short for a medium. It is. That's really short for a medium. 692, yeah. And at that height on the nor- on the medium Norco optic demo bike, I was 33 millimeters, 33 oh gosh, millimeters from away fully from hilted. fully hilted. And they gave like, you a 150? Well, even it with, made a stink yeah. face I don't, there. I think it was a 120. I'm guessing that's a 125. But, this, yeah. but if you put a one-up on there, I could probably want a 170 or a 180. Yeah. Because mm. the saddle And I noticed that on the downhill. Yeah, the saddle felt high at, at bottom to me. Mm. Because our legs are so short. Right. But the longer your legs are, the more you'd be like, why did you spec this super yeah. short dropper for me? 
Yeah, so that you can, so that you can run a saddlebag like Brandon. What, what I'm saying is, it's part, it's if a, it's I <laughs> could run a longer dropper that on dropper, a medium, then the medium should come with a longer dropper yeah, because I'm sure. close to the. Yeah. I don't I'm even, pretty close to the low end of saddle height for mediums. Yeah, that dropper might not even come in a 170. Mm. It's just a way to make that build. More Which one not, was more it? Economic. Some, was it a Transx or something? Something. X Fusion. X Fusion. I think it was X Fusion. Well, I would agree that a 125 is out of trend. A 150 is like, eh. One, even 170 is becoming a little, yeah. <laughs> Do you buzz it's, your saddle on your Megatar? Buzz I, your saddle? My saddle buzzes on dropout on the Megatar with 29-inch wheels. Yeah. To the seat. The oh, tire oh, hits no, the seat. I'm sorry. Not oh, my saddle. saddle. The battery on my AXS reverb. Oh, that's what it is. The battery. It's the battery on the AXS reverb. Oh, thank you. So... Then a new saddle is not going to help that. New saddles. Uh, well, was, wasn't I telling you about that? Mullet. I was telling you about that, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, on, a, on, on the, the battery. battery on the AXS reverb will rub some long travel bikes on bottom out. Well, let, it's because we're fully hilted. Let me ask you legs. this: cause but you should be able to fully hilt it. You should. Well, that thing has the worm screw. Can you flip it? Does it have enough range with the way that adjustment works? Is it like interesting question? I haven't checked. That is an interesting. Run a, be- like run, a, run a belly battery. Run a belly battery. <laughs> oh, man, that would be it. I don't know if that's like belly. It. It's another position. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like a scrotum battery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank Gosh, you, Brandon. You just reminded me of a word I recently learned that I'm not going to repeat on the podcast, and I wish I hadn't learned it, but it has to do with re- you combine the word gut with some female anatomy and... It's a bummer. Uh, uh, I don't even know it. I don't yeah, want we'll talk after the know. show. I don't want to know it. <laughs> I, I think I think you have some. Well, good, what else did good... you notice about the optic, though? Okay, <laughs> optic. Um, very poppy. So far, shitty saddle. <laughs> so very poppy, very pedally, fast bike. The Magic Marys. Did, I liked it oh, yeah. enough How that the Magic Mary, Mary didn't even really bum me out. Does it sound wow. different when you corner than the Maxis? Yes. Like you can hear it's it. The casing on the knobs. Yeah. yeah. Um, very poppy. Like there's those, there's a couple little sections at Oaks that I'm really used to kind of popping off of. And I feel like I went like a foot further than I would have on other similar bikes. And the, the front end comes up really easily. Like it's a dream to manual and bunny hop and wheelie. Like it, the front end really comes up nicely more so. I think more than any 29er I've ever ridden. Maybe. Wow. wow. It did. Is that the one that pink bike gave pink it? Yeah, yes, bike, pink of, the bike, pink, yeah. Pink bike, bike of the year. Pink bike of the year. Pink bike of the year. In purple. Um, yeah. Very. The geometry is super confidence inspiring. I really like this trend of like proper enduro head angles and stuff on short travel bikes. And that's a straight sixty five point zero. Yep, sixty five degree angle. head angle on what a one thirty fork, one forty maybe one twenty five one forty one forty that one. Right. Yeah, and it feels. I really like the new bike. And the bike, the suspension felt great. It really is supportive on the top. Great anti-squat. You can, ha- you out of the saddle, hammering, no lockout, no problem. One hang-up I did kind of feel on the suspension is if you start to overwhelm it, it feels like the, it gets more overwhelmed. Like, like you get past a certain... If you take a big hit and you're past like a certain point in the travel, it feels like the rear kind of just falls away. 
or at least, the, and I had one of the harshest bottom outs I've had in a long time. What so, section, what segment of trail? I haven't looked at the Levedrick curve, but I suspect it's fairly flat towards the middle and bottom. Mm. You what, know, what, I would the specs when you bring this up, I'd be really curious. And it's a bike that's been out for what three years now. No, no, it's three so, months. This two months. No, 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 no. The, the, the bike the actual, I'm referring to, uh, the Smuggler is right. really close. Always has been. Right. And I, have any of you guys ridden a smuggler? I want to ride a smuggler. I do. No. I wonder how close it feels. I suspect that it has more support deep in the travel. Maybe. Was it a 65-degree head angle? The smuggler is 66. Yeah. So, so, But really close. I wonder if the Norco is going to be a little longer. It's a long bike. Yeah. The Norco is pretty Do you long. still have yours? I... I still have the extra large frame for sale. Yeah, <laughs> I need to sell that. Path podcast listeners, if you want an extra large smuggler <laughs> frame, 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 I, yeah. lightly ridden, yeah. loved and and not abused. Yeah. That's the, I because uh, I saw this bike get such accolades, and besides the fact that I was always a fan of the smuggler, I had two of them, and I really liked it. Yeah. I was like, did, did everybody miss the smuggler? It's very smuggler esque, <laughs> but it is, it is a degree slacker. The smuggler going back to our cup issue, you can you can angle right. set it. And if you um offset for um inflation of head angle, it's the same. <laughs> right. Oh, right. <laughs> quarter degree a year or so. Yeah, yeah. No, quarter right. degree a year. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh maybe but, a half degree a year. I we'd have yeah. to check on inflation of head de- deflation of head angle. Yeah. But Infla- the, yeah. inflation of low head angle. <laughs> the smuggler's got really short Chain stays, 120, 140, 66 mm-hmm. head angle, steep seat angle, like, you know, uh, 500 millimeter reach on a lar- extra large. And if you want to have like a short, long hairdo and a mustache and a hip sack and party in the woods, <laughs> there's a very, I, I'm just kidding. I love Transition and I really like their bikes. But if you go to Bellingham, there, there's a very specific like Transition rider in, <laughs> right. especially in bellingham is the hip sack a, like a satchel yeah, not so much the, it's it's the short long hairdo and the mustache and like Whoa. the um pit viper sunglasses oh yeah oh yeah it's a very specific kind of style and it's good it's right. a good style it's very luke we love luke on this show <laughs> he's rocking <laughs> luke that right would now. fit in <laughs> super is. good on that scene he almost already and luke has is the man i mean we should probably all do it luke there? does but is he from there? Is he from <laughs> He's got there? the accent already. <laughs> he posted the raddest video of his son getting his strider the other day. It was, yeah. Dude, it was the raddest his reaction. He just hopped right on it and grabbed the bars and started yeah. walking away. <laughs> just, just he got sh- those 10-inch ones. Just a shout-out to, to Luke. If uh, any of you guys have an SUV or a truck or whatever and you have you want your bike rack to like hold a tire and have a swing hitch... He is an own, owner of Rigged Supply, and they make hitch mount um, like things that hold your bike rack and hold the tire. And it has like a fold out like little table thing you can like tailgate with. It's super high quality. It's got a really good securing locking system. Uh, they make them in the U.S. You know, Luke's part of the design process. Um, and follow their Instagram rig supply. You can see Luke shredding and all their bike adventures and that's, all sorts of stuff. That's R-I-G-D. 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 And when you supply. buy from Rigged, you're supporting a kid who's been coming into the path since he was about like seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was coming into the path, no joke, on his dad's shoulders. Yeah. 
and worked at the path and we're proud to have him as a graduate from our school of needy little pathematicians. (laughs) (laughs) No, there is this thing where when people work at, when people kind of go through the path culture, so to speak, and, and work at the path and then go on to do cool stuff, I do get a little bit of pride out of it. Yeah. I wonder what Coleman's up to. But, I was thinking of plugging the website that I've been referencing for all, or using to get all the uh, kinematic <laughs> charts because he has a uh, what is Patreon? I think it's a, it, well, and he has uh, ads. He has ads on his site and Patreon, but it's it's linkagedesign.blogspot.com. Oh, is right the on website. Yeah, and I think it's one guy work. using a software program called Bike Checker. Yeah, uh, and it's like you probably plug in like a lot of different dimensions. Yeah, and then you get like a computer kind of whatever yeah. model. Yeah. Oh, one more thing about rigged, because we're van people. He makes one for like forerunners and all sorts of trucks, but he makes a van one that looks really sweet. A swing away. It's a, a swing away hitchback rack. Yeah, mount. yeah. So if you have a bike rack on mm. like a Sprinter or a Promaster or whatever, and you're tired of like having to take the bikes off to open your the barn doors in the back, his swing away thing. It swings the bikes away, keeps them on the rack, doesn't tilt them at a functified angle. It's I, I'm actually pretty close to getting one for when I run a bike rack with the van. Right, it's Sounds super good. super sweet. Yeah, because what when you go camping or or van lifing, you don't want to have to take the rack off to open the rear doors or take the bikes off the rack, lower the rack, open the doors, all that. Lame. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's he's got a really like super solid rat latch thing. You swing it, and the thing swings aside, and you can keep your bikes and open your open your rear doors. It's it's sick. And it's probably the highest quality one by far on the market, and certainly some really good, well thought out design features. And Luke was a big part of that. Yep. Cool. And heck of a rider, heck of a person. Yeah. Um, I had some just a general question. This is something I've been kind of kicking around. I'm recently. already triggered. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been kind of yourself. <laughs> I've been thinking about this lately. As I, I've been starting to ski. I've been trying to learn to ski, and I, I'm not a good skier no, by any I'm means. I'm triggered too. <laughs> I'm I'm slightly less of a crappy skier than I was a month ago, but not by much. But in this learning process, I, it's really opening my eyes of how it is to be new to a sport, right? And the question that keeps coming up in my mind, and it comes down to equipment, is I don't know enough about the skis or the equipment to know when I'm struggling to learn or I'm struggling against the wrong equipment. And there's... And what I've been doing is when I ski with someone better, I've been I've gotten a couple pairs of skis, and I typically get demo skis that have like adjustable bindings or something like that. Um, and particularly, like my girlfriend's dad will go with us, and I'm like, "Hey, can you try these skis and tell me if they suck?" Because <laughs> I don't know. And it just reminds me for like I think there's a lot of similarities with biking when you so start. Did they suck? No, I said they were fine, um, but. Uh, I think there's uh, the general, and it gets me thinking, the general knowledge is that the beginners don't need the good stuff or the beginners can't tell the good stuff. And I would challenge us to think about that in a different way and say, 
the beginners need the good stuff more than and the... recognize the good stuff more. They just don't know if it is or not. Right. So I think there's an argument to be made. And I've always kind of kind of done this. Like my girlfriend's bike's kind of set up a little nicer than my bikes. But I guide it. I know I have very clear thoughts about what she needs or what's gonna help. But a lot of times, obviously there's a there's an entry level point there's a price point issue where it's like, oh, the beginners, you know, you give them a you know, entry-level mountain bike, and some people are going to complain about this. They'll call it a $2,500 mountain bike. And you're going to... One of the examples you'll use is, look at this expert rider can shred on this $2,500 mountain bike. Well, I can outride a rookie on a downhill on a 10-speed. I, I really can. That, that's, not a good, that's not a good logic connection. So is it arguable to say that the rookies want the best stuff and sometimes they're willing to pay it. They just need the guidance. They need someone to tell them what that is. And I think that's, and I'm not saying one way or the other. It's just gotten me to think for skis, I want a good skier to watch me ski, try my skis, and tell me, yes, everything you have is good. Now go struggle and feel comfortable that you're struggling against the skill and not the equipment. That's, that's what I want. And I wonder what a version of that looks like. I was almost like brainstorming, like in a crazy world, you have a bike shop that sets you up on a bike, Get you, you decide to get an expensive bike, but you don't even know how to set it up. And there's a great rider at the shop that's around your same size, say, but maybe he's 20 pounds lighter. And he puts on a weight vest, takes your bike for a ride, sets it up, hands it to you and go like, okay, now ride this. Right. Something you're like riding that. Like- 30% slower, the setup might not be right. Or... Exactly. It's it's not a But I do think idea. what I'm picturing is a bunch... I'm picturing like three or four different curves of diminishing returns. Right. And and how they interact with each other. Right, right. It, it's just an idea. I, I mean, but I'm just, I have for a long you know, time, to your point, felt that beginners can tell if they're comfortable. They can tell if they're confident. They can tell if they feel powerful in a position. They can... F- they can tell more than people than they think they can tell. Like right. something I tell people a lot in the bike shop is, "Hey, don't be afraid." As a be- especially beginner beginners who are not showing confidence in their ability to differentiate, I like to tell them, "Don't be afraid to just ask yourself questions about how you feel on the bike," because you know, you may not have a lot of point of reference, but you you can figure out what feels good. How yeah. and I, I also think that. There is that kind of point on, of diminishing returns, and it's probably, as a rule of thumb, it's probably somewhere between like three and four thousand dollars for a full suspension mountain bike at retail. Mm. Where like, you know, you could spend more than that, but for a beginner or an expert or even a pro, it's probably not going to be. It's probably not going to. It's going to be a pretty small part of the equation of your experience. But past that, right? I think there's people who. Like the twenty five hundred dollar entry level mountain bike is for people who still don't trust themselves that they're even into it, but, or also just yeah. that's the most you can afford. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean yeah. that's still yeah. a lot of money. Well, there's there's expert level riders that that's their price point, right? The, I and I would say that's that's one connection. Maybe we need to separate a little bit. Is maybe your price and your skill isn't it doesn't necessarily trend together because there's really great riders that can afford two thousand dollar bikes. At the most, 
Right. And from the bike shop perspective, this isn't that much of a revelation because we all know that like there's a lot a lot of the we definitely sell really high end bikes to real riders and shredders, but a lot of the really high end bikes that we sell are to to be a garage queen. Right. Right. I guess the big thing for me that I kind of put my finger on is I j- especially with skiing because kind of like the wallet and the clock are running on your time. Hmm. Whereas mountain biking, you can go do it for free, but skiing is a little bit, Hey, like the dollars running, bud. And, and, and a very clear <laughs> season. Demo skis? They do have demo skis, but I it's, think demos, that's like, that's probably it is. But to me, again, you have to bundle that in with a pretty expensive lift ticket. We're talking, uh, uh what, a ski what, lift here, ticket. Let's get what, what problem are you having with skiing? <laughs> <laughs> like, Besides that, I suck. <laughs> no, no, but I, I think it's a, a, you know, a lift ticket at Mammoth in the summer is fifty bucks, and in the winter it's two hundred dollars. Dude, I'm kind of at the same place with RC trucks. <laughs> I really am. Like, like the, I suck at driving. That like I really do. Yeah. The other day, I like hit this Marshall kid, and he was just, he's like batted my truck away. Like, dude. Don't hit me. And I was like, sorry, I don't have control. Did you catch it (laughs) mid-flight? He knocked it down with like... Out of the air, though? air blower that they have. They have (laughs) air blowers for the dirt. Nice. For the track. They air blow little balls of dirt off the track to clear it. Oh, Oh, yeah. There's misters. There's misters over the track. I've missed the track like every 10, 20 minutes or so. I I have a RC race history buried in this. But if I got a nicer truck, like I would be cornering better. And it would be handling better. Yeah. Maybe not that much better. <laughs> it would. Would it you would. still be running into the kid? It wouldn't be breaking so much stuff. It'd be making the triple. Come on. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that bad. <laughs> the triple. Yeah, the triple. But but I think with the skiing, that like, it's, man, that pressure is on. And like demos, especially on a typical weekend at a ski resort, that the conditions are good. If you think you're going to, it is not like the summertime. You're not going back to your car for lunch. Like you may not be able to get to your car at the end of the filled lot or something like that. So demo skis and like oh. doing getting back and forth to the lodge. You you may find your lift on the far side of the mountain that's not super crowded and you don't want to go back to the lodge. You're yeah. like, screw that. Because totally. I know I'm gonna wait twenty minutes. Like by the hour too, huh? I don't know, but it's more it, it's just a very it's a Sounds very like limited ski manufacturers day. need to figure out a way to get their product out there for people to try. No, so they need demos at like <laughs> different places on the mountain where you can like they're at the bottom of a lift and you can go take a run and then you don't have to getting back to the car or getting back to the lodge or the ski shop is not necessary. It can put a, yeah, d- an hour. It, a in the butt. it can cut an hour of your day. And if you think about the dollar rate, a $200 day that you have six so, yeah, hours. yeah, you just find like, somebody that's good and ask them what skis they run. That's kind of what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. How uh, much were they? <laughs> uh, well, of dollars. No, no, no. Here's the fun part. I was telling Ak this earlier is uh, use demo skis because, I mean, there there is like an economy of these rental and demo skis flooding into the used market. Mm-hmm. And I can pick up pretty much any pair of skis I want for 300 bucks. You know, like, with that's maybe two or three years old with bindings, you, you can get them on eBay from between ninety and three hundred bucks, depending on what you're getting. Mm. And, and maybe if you're getting something super hot from this year that was like a one year demo, you might spend six hundred bucks. 
but it's i mean we're not this skiing isn't skiing like, is good cross training for mountain biking it's very similar motion definitely right? for downhilling like it's one Hit of those things where you and probably, like waiting yeah i feel like it really cornering i want to believe you so bad because i'm a good mountain biker and i'm such a crappy skier is it making you a better <laughs> mountain biker hasn't <laughs> hasn't crossed over yet the mountain biking hasn't helped the skiing i'll tell you that much you know what here's the interesting well, you thing. don't know how bad you would be if you hadn't done mountain biking here here's the interesting thing is my girlfriend's learning to ski at the same time and when you corner on skis certain one foot goes back one foot goes forward and it alternates now, I am so used to having one foot in front. Even when I drop the pedal, still, there's always one kind of in front. So I have a very, very hard, I have a very weak direction and a strong direction. And like turning one way feels left-handed to me. And turning the right way feels great. Oh, and, so it's kind of like skateboarding a little bit? But like for me, because my, I have my, my stance on a mountain bike yeah. is so ingrained from uh. 20-something years of mountain biking to break that. And, and so be maybe able to it'll turn. make you a better turner, like by turn, by that by turner. Probably the skiing <laughs> will help the mountain biking, but the mountain biking <laughs> in that regard kind of. <laughs> and that's <laughs> more what I think is that the skiing helps the mountain biking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, especially like turning. drifty, hard, cutty turns, <laughs> like that ski technique. Yeah, is a lot of knee bending, a lot of like you know it. it I've always joked with snowboarding and skiing. It's always like, bend your knees. I am. No, bend your knees. <laughs> you're like, you're not bending your knees. I am bending my knees. Bend your knees. More. <laughs> bend your damn knees. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> anyway, I just, uh, in, in light of learning skiing, it just, I, I think that, I think the way I would, I would conclude my whole thought on this is I really want to be sure I'm struggling to learn and not struggling because I chose the wrong equipment. That that's my biggest concern because you could the, be struggling because of the coach that you had a bad coach. Maybe <laughs> I don't told know. you to. <laughs> I know, self-taught YouTuber I here. Like we, I feel like we already have a podcast, but it just makes me think of this wedge thing that I heard the other day from yeah. <laughs> some from a from a, a customer that was in talking about certain like. There's well, there's I think there's a growing number of mountain bike coaches, and there's a growing number of resort towns and resorts that are hiring training coaches, just like they do for snowboarding and skiing. Yeah, and like they're like teaching these techniques, and well, then there's also certification companies, yeah, kinda like like mostly nonprofits, I think at this stage, but um, I think PBMI is one of them. But uh, yeah. that there's like some weird techniques getting like thrown around in the industry like oh. even even like in nika like for like where you can it sounds like 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 don't corner outside foot down what like, they're saying and, like, don't do that to me that sounds like some mean, paranoid well, lawyer hold on. hold on yeah so like pedals parallel if mm-hmm. you could do it is faster than outside foot down so the the defense was that the pro a lot of the pros are still cornering outside foot down so when you apex a turn, you're going to want to do outside foot down. And if you look at top-level pro downhillers, you'll notice that they're when they're outside foot down, that's like a hanging it out. Like when they're, getting, when they're hitting the turns how they want, they're mostly not outside foot down. So then the other technique that's – that one I could see both sides. So outside foot down over inside foot down for sure. Well, yeah. Outside foot down, if you need to like – if you need to hit a hard apex, if you want to really 
apex, like create a hard, like abrupt digging turn. You need to get outside foot down. But if you want to carry speed through a turn, you'll carry speed through. If you can keep your pedals parallel through a turn, or in other words, neither foot down, you'll carry more speed through the turn. My paranoia was thinking that there was some lawyer that was like worried about pedal strikes, telling kids not to corner an outside foot down or something like that. Yeah. It might actually just be good advice for carrying speed through a turn. So the other one was... It's harder. The, it's harder to get through the turn. The other turn. phenomena was that they're getting these... There's weird names, like, you know, like in skiing and snowboarding, you know, you got like those terms that they tell you, like, yeah. do the wedge, you know, wedge. Pizza and french fries. Pizza. And so, <laughs> like, wedge is another one where it's um, freaking front toe up, back toe down, back foot toe down. So the wedge... Yeah, whereas, like, I, I'm like... That's hey, proper. That's, that's proper. I never do that. That's that's a way to create pressure onto the pedals so that you don't get bounced off the pedals. And that's also... You're not heels down always? So heels down is also a technique and also a tactic. Wedge feels so weird. Heels hmm. heels down is... You a wedger? No, I, I, no I, th- I think I'm... What I'm more reflecting on is I think skiing is something that's been taught so many times and over a very huge range of years and it's very mature and mountain biking is still relatively immature if you oh, ride right. flat pedals a lot you'll see what i'm talking like the about suspension gurus <laughs> if you ride flat pedals a lot i think you'll see where where that front front heel down back heel up thing makes sense sometimes at moments on the trail and moments and when do you do you find yourself doing that yeah sometimes really like what kind of moments um, where I feel like I'm getting rattled off the pedals, basically. Mm. It's a way to like stick yourself to the pedals. You, it's a way to have both pedals create a counterforce against mm-hmm. each other, so that you're pushing your feet into the pedals. I feel like I thought I had something there, but I didn't really. I guess there's both sides to the story. So it, I think it's, it's good to talk, talk about. I don't it, think it's, it's good like, to have the. Conversation. I don't think it's a panacea. I don't think it's like do this every time. And I also don't think heels down is do this every time. And I also don't think outside pedal down is do this every time or, or like pedals parallel is do this every time. So, you know, maybe somebody saw something weird. I don't know. <laughs> but it's in general, there's yeah. there's organizations forming that are kind of like deciding maybe like a, a credential to get a certification and like become some kind of yeah. like coach. Well, so it's loosely related to a conversation I was having with my brother the other day. Where he was asking me, you know, how how much coaching is going on at a high level? And I told him that from my perspective, a lot of beginner riders are starting to get coaching and, and skills clinics and stuff. And not very many kind of intermediate and upper level riders are getting a lot of coaching. And even I think a lot of pros don't have a technique coach. Right. No. All There's right. maybe some and my brother, generational passing my down of knowledge. Brother's theory was that when we're a mature sport, we'll have proper pro-level technique coaches. Mm. Well, that and that's what I was saying. That's where like skiing and tennis and golf; these are all very like lesson coach mature mature spaces with uh, uh, broadly accepted techniques. But I can see where mountain biking. I mean, let's just take for example. There's two mega corps that manage almost every ski resort in the country if they're going to move into trying to grow their summer season even a 
fraction of their winter season with trained paid coaches, they're a big lawsuit target. There has to be something to say that you just didn't hire the kid down the street to teach mom and dad to ride their mountain bike down the hill. And when they flip Mm -hmm. over the bars, you got to have something. Every ski coach or every ski instructor at a resort is certified by something. They, Mm -hmm. so something had to come in place for these corporations to even offer this service. Otherwise, it's it's going to be like the kid down the street with Craigslist for twenty bucks an hour to teach you to. So to our just our, our our sport has really good fitness coaches, I think, like nutritional lifestyle. That's kind of getting Training. integrated. Into but that the falls sport. more and into the category we, of like a personal trainer, right? And I think we have like an good. I think we have good beginner skills coaching that's kind of ev- emerging and has yeah. emerged. But I don't think we're quite at that point where there's sorcery and dark magic still. There is still sort, and to that, this is what I was trying to explain to my brother: is the problem with having a coach for like high level downhill skills is that you'll see a, an absolute elite like top two percent rider do it one way, and then another absolute elite like top two percent rider right. do it a different way, and like one is riding their front wheel and one's riding their back wheel. It's that different. And yeah, or and that's just one way in which it might be that different, and it's just hard to say there's that there's just one way to do it. But I yeah. I do think that that being said, there's a place for this is a technique. Mm-hmm. You can add yeah. this technique to your repertoire or not, but it's a technique, and I can show it to you. Yeah, and I can help you work on it. And like this is a weakness that I see in you, and I do think that. But but to. I, I don't I don't know super well if this is true, but I don't think there's a lot of high level coaches coaching like super cross riders how to hit jumps and how to corner. No, either. I don't think and I so. think it's part it's a similar problem where the real geniuses are a little past coach. Like, <laughs> yeah. hmm. the those they're doing yeah. things that no one understands. Those who can do kind of thing. It right? might be one of those arenas a little bit, although maybe there's still room for us to grow some conventional wisdom that could help everybody i think it's gonna grow so one of the things that's been again with with skiing a little bit more and i've seen this before in the years but it's really sent home now is um go to a ski resort in the summer look at the crowds count the cars go to a ski resort in the winter look at the crowds count the cars these are different industries these are different different amounts the winter's getting more people oh massively and it's um, the the one thing as far as maturity of the industry, liability management, all that stuff. You go to a ski resort, you pay your money, you get a lift ticket. On the back, it said, you signed away your life by having this ticket. You go in the summer, you have to sign initial, initial. Hole, right. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's just something that, you know, just there's... don't know what it is yet. Yeah, there's 5,000 lawyers in the country that handle ski know. resort liability. And there's 10 that handle mountain bike you know liability it's it's we're finally getting to the point where i think those things are getting worked out the liability is getting worked out but also um the coaching i think we're going to see the coaching mature when more people there's more money flowing through the coaching system whereas how many ski lessons go on on an average ski mountain I mean, I think there's more ski lessons that go on at Snow Summit in one season than mountain bike lessons happen in two years nationally. I, I would, I would bet. Mm. Um, so someone, I, don't, 
I think someone told me that Whistler's summer program is more profitable than their winter program. I think they're, but they're for sure an anomaly, right? Like maybe they're, and that also I think includes yoga retreats and Uh, slacklining and right, right. And I hear bachelorette parties are a big deal in Whistler. Hmm. I I hear that's a thing. You get the um, mountain biker um, striptease, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to add is I, I actually did take a ski lesson. I took one. I've taken one ski oh, lesson. You say so mountain bike striptease? No, 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 really? no, no, no. Yeah. I actually did get a mountain bike striptease. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. He was good. <laughs> I, I got one ski lesson. And to your point, when you were saying like they're just giving you skills, what I expected, which didn't realize I had expectations going into the ski lesson, I wanted us to go up the mountain, take a run or two. You go behind me and then come back and say, okay, I noticed this about you. I think you should work on this. He did what you're describing, Tani, which was like, here's a skill. Here's a skill. You, here's, a, here's a drill you can do. Here's a dr-. I was like, no, watch me ski and tell me what I'm doing wrong. And that's, what I, that's really what I wanted. But this can't – I don't know if other ski lessons – you have to pay more for that. Pro- well, it's called a private lesson. No, it w- it actually was a private lesson because we were the only quote unquote for for the lesson at Snow Valley. My girlfriend and I were the advanced skiers, mm. and we were the only two in the afternoon session. So we had it was us and an instructor. He's like, "What do you want to work on?" I was like, "Well, you know, we want to work on getting down blacks a little bit better. We can do blues. We're working towards blacks." But he kind of gave us this canned thing to work on. Whereas I wanted him to just ski with us and kind of like assess the situation. That's a really private lesson, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I, and I guess that's it. I guess I I didn't know what to expect, and maybe that maybe I just had an inappropriate expectation. And you know, there are. Well, some, I think that's the of... difference between a class and a coach. A coach yeah. is like your coach. Yeah. 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 I think there's freestyle coaches and all sorts of coaches, but the, I think you're going to see that more in like ski towns like Park City and Vail, and you know guys that make well, a good living being a professional instructor. Or girls. Well, in or, mount, yeah, in yeah, mountain biking too. A lot of the schools are integrating it, so those schools are hiring coaches. They may not get. Yeah. I would say right now, I'd imagine that the level is that they're not getting paid. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I coach soccer for. A, in high school, I coached high school soccer for a few years, and it was yeah. like extremely rewarding, and it wasn't bad pay. Yeah. I don't know if I passed the background check, this, but maybe I would. <laughs> I would love. I would love to know what the top ten ski instructors in Aspen make a year. Hmm. I, I think that'd be really. Maybe they and, get and, tips too. And if you told me sixty, you know, sixty grand a year. And those guys live there seasonally. I'd believe you. If you told me four hundred grand a year because of their clientele, I'd also believe you. I, I really have no idea what to expect. And if you told me thirty grand a year, I'd believe you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess four hundred <laughs> grand a year—that might be some really private lessons. You might well, have to be. Well, let know, me. Th- you I have to sacrifice your values. I recent. <laughs> <laughs> I recently watched a documentary, and they said in Aspen, in that. Vale Aspen Valley, whatever it is, or the Aspen Snowmass Valley, the price, the average price per square foot is higher than Manhattan. And that, that it was this video talking about the economics of ski resorts. 
and they were saying how a lot of these ski resorts, it's getting harder to operate because they have to get the staff, the seasonal staff in, but there's nowhere for them to stay. So they have to build dormitories, which ultimately raises the cost of staff. Mm. But they were saying, yeah, it's it was like 20% more per square foot in Manhattan. Wow. It was... Dormitories sounds like a weird way to have your staff live. Well, they have... In that valley, because it's, it's so limited... paying a living wage over there, though. Well, they need to get everybody... They need to get all that staff. And, I mean, this is everybody from working the snack stands to tuning skis at night to cleaning up to all that stuff. They need to get all those people into this geographically constrained valley. So they need these people to move out there, work, not bring a car, because there's no room for you to keep your car in this valley. So public transportation, dormitories, like that's all turning into part of the ski resort business for Angel Fire Fire has an RV park. I actually was like really i think i applied there i didn't have a i didn't have a good enough bike or enough riding actual riding experience <laughs> to like be a um a bike patrol to do bike patrol but yeah. they have an rv park they they needed like uh camp hosts yeah so, you know the people to manage the the campsites and and they needed people to work there so like that that sounded like a really rad idea if angel fire is cool you have an rv or a trailer yeah. and you want like a seasonal job yeah, yeah, and it's relatively new. Like, I bet you that RV park's like pretty decent. That's a that's not. I've never been yeah. there, but it sounds like a nice resort. The Angel Fire Valley is really beautiful and really quiet. Yeah. It's it's pretty remote. You yeah. have to do some mountain driving over a pass to get into the. It area. Sounds magical. It's mm-hmm. nice. Semi magical. It's pleasant. Let's go there this summer. Isn't there like thunder too? It can be like very monsoon like, like thunder. It and can. Yeah, that's all. That's all of New Mexico. That's on yeah. my list of places I want to go. So let me uh, let me fill you in. My tentative plan, there is a race on the schedule to go to Angel Fire. But here's what it is. There's a there's a group called Trail Party Races or Trail Party something. They're doing races. There's one at uh, Pajarito. There's one at Angel Fire. There's one in Purgatory and two other to be announced. Here's what they're doing. And this, this might tickle your fancy, Tony. I'm it's listening. three to four stages, all in a ski resort, as many times as you want. Anytime during the day, with whoever you want, when, however you want, turn your chip in at 3 p.m. So you're best go. run on Ooh, each I like one. that. Yeah. You have as many tries as you want almost oh, yeah. to get each lift one, assisted? right? Yep. Yeah. Lift yep. assisted? All then? lift. Dude, that is So that's cool. flow riding right there. I like that. <laughs> I know. You guys I are really like up. that. That is cool. So, so what I like about that is my whole thing about riding is... I usually have my best run like somewhere in the middle of a day when I stop caring and like loosen up yeah. and just let it come huh. and just like and I yeah. always wonder like what if we stack those runs up against each other? Now oh. you can know. You're gonna that sounds like you a start cool in the day. They give you a chip. Lift opens. Be back at three, fellas. You know where the runs are. Yeah, I'd like to do that. That sounds. It awesome. would actually be cool depending on who like the who those top five people are. It allows them to do that too. Like wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's their best runs. I think it's open class. And so if you want to go, if you want to go run a train with your buddies, like three of you in a row, yeah, sure. No, no problem. If you get a flat, it's not like you traveled all that distance and you blew your race run. You just, just fix fix flat, go do it again. If you're like, man, I blew that turn. I think I can do a faster one. Go do it again. Go do it again. Wow. If you want to do it with your friend or your girlfriend or your buddies. What bike are you going to ride? A, and like a long I, travel I'm, bike? A single crown? Or? Angel Fire is rough. So can you ride lot. a dual crown then? 
Yeah, you can run it. You should. I probably should, right? I think a downhill bike would be very appropriate for Angel Fire. Wow. But there's going to be one at Pajarito, which is in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Purgatory, which is in Durango, Colorado. There's one in Angel Fire, which is in northwestern, northeastern New Mexico. Um, and two more to be announced. But yeah, check it out. Just Google Trail Party Races or That's Team Trail Party. That's the name of this party. format is Trail Party? No, the the promoter is called Should Team be. What Trail are they calling party. this format? <laughs> so... The one, um, the one in Angel Fire. What did they name it? It was uh, Mega, which is Make Enduro Great Again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, they did one last year, and actually, you can see a video on uh, Sid and Mackey's YouTube channel. And I was just goofing around YouTube that popped up, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Because I did the um, the good, the rad, and the gnarly, which was a similar like go collect the dots on the mountain. So it's a similar idea, but I, I hats off to them for doing something different, thinking outside the box, being creative. And so I'm not a hundred percent I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna I'm starting to put the plan together. I feel like that format really plays to my idea of what mountain biking downhill spirit is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a great format and I think there's like I said, five or six on the calendar, all in that general northern New Mexico, southern Colorado area. And uh, hats off to those guys for being creative, and it sounds super fun. Mm -hmm. And Angel Fire, I think, is a great one to go. Angel Fire one is around August 28th. It's the end of August. I need to get that on my calendar. I think that sounds right Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. It sounds sounds super fun, super low-key, but at the same time, healthy, competitive. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But Angel Fire is amazing. It's a... Especially if you don't really know the know the stuff, I have trouble. Yeah. I have trouble like remembering turns and like it's a lot of pressure interpreting to, yeah. the trail sometimes in places I've never gone. Like I'll just take yeah. I'm just free rider, you know, just take, <laughs> yeah. just start free riding. You know, sometimes. Angel Fire is gnarly. It's super rocky. It's fun. It's uh, two thousand vertical per per run. It's Oof. The last I bet, yeah, time I would just be absolutely exhausted by the end of that day. The last time I went, <laughs> we, we did twenty thousand feet of descending in a day, Dude, and we were smoked. Yeah, that was ten runs out on two thousand foot hill. Bring your phone roller. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think I jumped in the car and drove sixteen hours back to California oh, after that. <laughs> it was a rough Dude. one. Oh no, I flew back that. I'm sorry, I flew back that time. But yeah, it's about a sixteen hour drive from Southern California. So anyway, keep keep that in mind. Uh, any of our listeners, if you're in the area, check these guys out. It sounds awesome. Like it's the race for non racers. It, it's going to be fun no matter what you do. Um, I think it's going to be rad. And you know what? It's it ticks the boxes for me. If I want to go out for a day of racing, I want to ride all day, and I don't want to ride up under an operational lift. I'll ride mm-hmm. if I need to for backcountry downhills, but I'm not going to do it under. It a is lift. annoying to ride up under a lift that works. Oh god, mm-hmm. yeah. They did that China Peak race I did this year. They did it twice, and I was like, "Or you could have given us four more stages, which would have been more fun and a better use of our time, and you would have gotten way better press from that." I mean, everyone would love that. Yeah, I, I would have rather like race of... seven stages yeah. than four stages and climb up the mountain looking up at a lift moving over your head twice. Huh. Silly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, hats off to these guys. Su- super cool. All right. I think Podcast. I have more to talk about, but I think maybe we should just bring it up next show. There's more shows to be had. What are I mean, mm-hmm. all right. Call it. Yeah. What's going on? 
Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Auk. Thank you, Brandon. This is Tawny saying love the bike you ride.